truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Welcome to The Blaze. We are live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd has the day off, apparently. Had some daddy stuff to do, I guess, as kids. Gonna, like, you know, run in some, you know, sporting event that matters or something. I mean, whatever. I guess if you gotta try to be a dad, I... Whatever. I mean, we just... Another lazy generation exposed. But Aaron... Of course, from those hardworking millennial generations, uh, he is here uh, with us. If you'd like to join us, 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. You can like us on Facebook, but you need to like us there a lot because Facebook doesn't like us. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. And if you are just catching the audio today, so you don't have uh, my name plastered over my shoulder uh, up in your grill, uh, it is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We've got a jam-packed show coming your way today. We've got three non-political questions in which I will attempt to answer the questions my way and then the way I think Todd may answer them as well. So that should be interesting. And then uh, next hour, we've got a double-barreled, uh, you know, loaded uh, Theology Thursday you do not want to miss, uh, including uh, Jay Warner Wallace uh, from Cold Case Christianity. He's got a brand new book out. Uh, you may have seen him in the, uh, he was one of the uh, expert, subject matter expert witnesses that was called in the the trial of God's Not Dead 2, uh, if, you, if that name sounds familiar. He's going to be joining us uh, a little bit uh, later on as well. Uh, one of the things we love to do here on this show, and that is a terrible camera angle, by the way. Do not ever show that ever again. Uh, one of the things we love to do here on this show uh, is promote noteworthy causes, like never showing that angle ever again. Another worthy cause uh, is our... <laughs> no, and I wasn't kidding. Do not show that ever again. <laughs> but I do I do respect the defiance. I liked it. Uh, one of the things our podcast audience is like, what in the world is going on? Well, see, this is why you need to subscribe. You get, you get further layers of, of Aaron's millennial defiance uh, that only subscribers are subjected to. Uh, but we love to support noteworthy causes here on this show. Uh, one of our favorites is Back to Jerusalem. And their cause is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. They want to take the Word of God to the ends of the earth. Uh, but that even includes what are called closed countries. These are countries that close their people off to the Scriptures. Uh, and and that's where Back to Jerusalem comes in, whether it's communist China, Iran, North Korea, Somalia. Uh, the heart of their ministry is to take God's word to the people that are being persecuted for their faith there. And the reason these countries close the people off to the Bible is because they don't want them inspired and hope-filled, because people that are inspired and hope-filled have a tendency to be far less tolerant of being oppressed. Look at our own country. It's not a coincidence that the more secular we have become, the more government has grown powerful in its place. All right, so if you want to do something about this, they've taken the Bible, they've put it in a small downloadable electronic form. It's about the size of a pill that makes it easier to squeeze past the, the jackbooted thugs uh, in, that commu- in those countries. They need our help, though. It's about $15 from conception to delivery of one of these scriptures. Uh, you can give them a help uh, by just going to the website. If you've got a spare 15 bucks, blazehelp.org is the website, blazehelp.org, or you can give them a call at 844-305-0566. That's 844-305-0566. And now here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. 
What happened while we were away brought to you by more news on the pro-life front. Missouri's Senate yesterday passed an eight-week abortion ban without exceptions for rape or incest. The bill has to go through another vote in the House before it can become law. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey yesterday signed into law the bill banning pretty much all abortions in that state. And now this. Televangelist Pat Robertson is decrying the bill, saying... I think Alabama has gone too far. They've passed a law that would give a 99-year prison sentence to people who could commit abortion. There's no exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme law, and they want to challenge Roe versus Wade. But my humble view <laughs> is that this is not the case we want to bring to the Supreme Court because I think this one will lose. Those damn millennials. Chris Evans, a.k.a. Captain America, says... This is absolutely unbelievable. If you're not worried about Roe v. Wade, you're not paying attention. This is why voting matters. Ben Shapiro says although the Alabama law is morally right, it's still a strategic mistake. David French of National Review is pleased Alabama and Georgia are, what he says, throwing down the gauntlet against Roe v. Wade. In completely unrelated news, noted leftist and Muslim activist Linda Sarsour has come out against female genital mutilation, saying... Leave our bodies alone. 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 Moving on, New York City mayor and avowed socialist Bill de Blasio is running for president because why the heck not? Minnesota Congresswoman Elon Omar says she's not anti-Semitic. You're just Islamophobic. You know, I I tell my sister uh, Rashida Tlaib that her and I have um, the strength to endure any of the mischaracterization or efforts to distort um, and, and vilify uh, and mischaracterize our, our message. Uh, and I think um, we are seeing what happens when uh, people really see um, these kind of attacks for what they are. Um, it is designed to uh, silence, sideline, um, and sort of almost eliminate um, public public voice of Muslims. On the international front, the situation with Iran has become even more tenuous. Earlier in the week, Iran or Iran-backed proxies attacked two Saudi oil tankers and two other vessels near the Strait of Hormuz. President Trump is calling on Iran to come to the negotiating table. The fake news Washington Post and even more fake news New York Times are writing stories that there is infighting with respect to my strong policy in the Middle East. There is no infighting whatsoever. Different opinions are expressed and I make a decisive and final decision. It is a very simple process. All sides, views and policies are covered. I'm sure that Iran will want to talk soon. Tulsi Gabbard, your thoughts? President Trump says that he doesn't want war with Iran, but that's exactly what he wants. Because that's exactly what Saudi Arabia, Netanyahu, Al-Qaeda, Bolton, Haley, and other neocons and neolibs want. Wow. John Bolton and Bibi Netanyahu are akin to Al-Qaeda? That's, that's something. Hillary Clinton lectured students at Columbia University about likability recently. Are they likable enough? For heaven's sakes. That is such a sexist question. And yet it's asked all the time. 
And you look at the guys who are running, and some of them, I can tell you from personal experience, are not. <laughs> the student government of Trinity University, a Christian school in Texas, voted unanimously recently to ban Chick-fil-A from their campus, saying it's a drastic assault on LGBTQ students. In turn, the school's administration sent out an email telling the student government to shove it. And finally, the ministry of Jim Baker, the noted and disgraced televangelist, is selling a $45 gold-plated so-called prayer coin featuring a depiction of Donald Trump. The Lord said, because when you take the coin, it's a point of contact. So your faith is being released with a million other believers to pray protection and peace and wisdom and counsel over the president of the United States and over his family. Mm -hmm. That's our point of contact. Every day right. when you see it, remember, yeah. God puts something in your, in your hand that you have a role in. That's why we've got to pray, because they think we're crazy, but we're actually the sane ones. Right. That's and right. And so we're praying. We're going to pray. This, the teaching that is here, this coin yes. as a point of contact, yes. this 24-karat uh, gold-plated coin. And uh, by the way, I had, I had to, uh, I couldn't uh, copy the Sanhedrin model. I told them I would do an original. So we found uh, a nicer picture of the president to use. So well, that's We good. have our own version of it. No. And that's what happened? Well, we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends at Real Estate Agents I Trust. This was a company started by Glenn Beck and some of his associates several years ago because they were tired of real estate agents who talked a good game but then didn't deliver the results uh, that they promised when they were needed the most. And what they want to find is, is not customers for agents. That's what a lot of these other referral services you hear advertised, that's what they're about. But what Real Estate Agents I Trust is about is about helping you, the customer, find an agent that is worthy of you. You're looking for an agent that knows how to navigate and has a track record of navigating gaining successfully uh, the complicated real estate process that understands that data is important but you got to look beyond the algorithms at specific sales in a neighborhood and see if, the, if is there a reason that that home sold for way below or way above market value for example uh, you're looking for someone that also you kind of get along with and, and you trust and is polite pleasant to be around because this can be really stressful you can be asked to go see a home or show your own uh, at, at, at the last minute in order uh, to, to get to the process to the conclusion you're hoping for and it really just helps if you've got somebody that it's easy to relate to if you want to check all three of those boxes for your next real estate agent it's really simple uh, just go to realestateagentsitrust.com realestateagentsitrust.com i want to take a look at aaron's montage i want to start from the bottom uh the last thing that he mentioned there and and i want to tell you that all all heresies just like all lies in general have an element of truth to them and that's what makes us susceptible to them. For example, if, if, if I told you, and, and I said it with all conviction, all conviction, if I told you guys I've got breaking news, I'm going to be People Magazine's sexiest man alive this year. And I mean, I laid it out. I mean, and, and, and no body language or anything to show that this was incorrect. And I, 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 I'm sociopathic when I say this to the point that I believe my own horse pucky. And that what's, that's why I'm so con convincing when I communicate it to you. You wouldn't believe it. Because there's not a ring of truth to it. Right? We are a country, after all, founded upon self-evident truths, are we not? Last time I checked, yeah. Yes. All you have to do is uh, you know, uh, look at uh, this feed. 
Google uh, my name, and I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as hideous. Uh, but there is a chasm between hideous and People Magazine's sexiest man alive, and I reside somewhere uh, in the uh, lower middle of that chasm, more than likely. Was that the thing about the camera angle a few yes. minutes ago? Yes, and that camera angle put me further uh, down uh, the bottom of that chasm. So thank you. All right. Uh, you should be praying for your leaders. This president, every president. And what the gentleman there said is true, that those who mock thought, thoughts and prayers think that uh, they're the sane ones, but the people who actually believe in those things they're the same ones. He's right about that. Here's where he's lying to you. He doesn't believe in prayer either. He doesn't either. You know what he believes in? I'll tell you what he believes in. That's what he believes in. Cash. Cold, hard cash. That's all he believes in. He's a fiend. He's a heretic. And he's preaching the doctrine of demons. You don't need to spend 45 cents, let alone $45, for a coin to pray for the president. If there's anything I have ever said on this show that is true, what I'm about to say next will be the truest of them all. That coin is not a point of contact for you to reach your creator. He desires an individual relationship with you. There's nothing standing between you and him except your willingness to ask for forgiveness of your sins. Like that gentleman should ask for forgiveness of his. Uh, there's a great, my favorite scene in the movie, Joshua. If you've never seen this movie, you have to see it. It's an, it's an all-time hidden gem. And it's based on a series of books by a Catholic priest. And the premise of the, and this is the first one. And Joshua is a reference to Yeshua. That's Jesus' Jewish name. And it, it's a series of books about what would have life been like if Jesus came back in modern times. And the movie version of it is brilliant. Tony Goldwyn plays Jesus. He's phenomenal. And there's a scene in this movie where he uh, is exploring the outskirts of the town that he's arrived in. And out there on the outskirts, there's an old-fashioned tent revival taking place. And so he decides, hey, I'm going to walk in. And he walks in, and one one of these mercenary heretics, like the gentleman in the montage video that Aaron just shared, is carrying on his, with his histrionics and uh, he's pulling a Benny Hinn. I'm going to heal people. You know, it's funny how Benny Hinn never shows up. These healers never show up at like children's wards. It's interesting. They never show up to heal the people that are the most innocent and afflicted among us. Weird. Uh, and so Jesus Joshua walks in and there's this beautiful young woman sitting in the front row who's uh, totally blind. Oh, Aaron found the scene. I can't watch this scene and keep, keep it together. I can't. And she, she's gone there believing she's going to get healed, except this whole thing's a scam and he's got an earpiece telling him and he's got plants in the crowd and everything else. And the whole thing is a scam. And, and Jesus walks in and sees what is happening. And he walks solemnly down the aisle while this whole charade is carrying on. And he takes the woman's glasses off right there in front of everybody while they're caught up in their, their frivolity and their golden caffeine fervor. And he gives her her eyesight. And he, and he looks 
at the guy on the stage and he says something that is just, I mean, it's incredibly convicting. Um, I'm sorry. I mean, this scene breaks me every time I see it. Remember, remember when like your mom would threaten you with a whooping from your dad when he got home, you know, back when we had moms and dads, uh, and your mom would threaten you with a whooping from your dad when you got home and you would be like, I can't, uh, you know, you'd be afraid. But even worse than your mom threatening you with a whooping from your dad when he got home was when your mama would look at you and say, I'm just so disappointed in you right now. And you would be like, you know what? I'll take that whooping from the old man right now. In fact, I'll take two. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that hurts. I get over it in about 10 minutes. Get whooped that, a couple times. Yeah, yes. That though, that's going to wreck me for the rest of the day. Thanks, mom. Right? There's that kind of a moment right there in that scene. And he looks at the fraud on the stage. And he says to him, you don't have to do it this way. And it just freezes, freezes everybody under the tent. And he walks out. You don't have to do it this way. If you want to pray for your president or anybody else, spend your money on a worthwhile cause and just stop and pray right now. Your father will hear you. You know who he's not listening to? I can say with the utmost confidence, the guy in that video and the people that are helping him to scam you. He's a scam artist. The best response was Aaron's. No. I have another no response I'd like to share today. And again, we have more pro-life news in the news. A few years ago, when we were having the fight over defunding Obamacare, and Ted Cruz had the um, filibuster in the Senate, shut the government down unless we get the government to stop funding Obamacare, <clears throat> I got a phone call from a really good friend of mine who actually works in the White House now. And I got a phone call from a really good friend of mine who works in the White House now, and he was working for another presidential candidate, somebody who was expected to be a presidential candidate in the 2016 cycle at the time. And I mean, I barely knew Ted Cruz from Adam at this point. I think I'd met him once, right? And this friend of mine, though, that I'd known for years, I'd worked with him before. And, and he calls me up incensed at what Cruz is doing. And it's total grandstanding. And it has no chance at being successful. We don't have the votes to end Obamacare. Why are we doing this? We're going to shut the government down. We're going to blow the 2014 elections. By the way, come 2014, the Republicans had, I believe, the second or third largest one uh, election Senate swing in two-party election history. They had a nine-seat swing the year after this alleged shutdown that was going to end their hopes, but I digress. And, and this buddy of mine calls me up, and he's incensed, and I listened to him for a good five minutes. And, and I said to him, brother, you don't understand what's taking place. And I don't know. Ted Cruz may even be grandstanding. But if he's grandstanding and, and the people are responding to it, your concern is not his grandstanding. You ought to be concerned with why people, therefore, are responding to it if he is grandstanding. Because they're sending people like your candidate a message. And he said to me, what message? And the message I gave him was, when the shofar sounds, when somebody shows up in the Valley of Elah with five smooth stones and says, hell no, enough. 
Now's the time. We have put up with this enough. This has gone on long enough. And y'all are just standing around, not doing anything. And I said to him, you ever heard the, my, the great line from the, the famed evangelist D.L. Moody? I like my way of doing something better than your way of not doing anything. And I said, I don't, I don't know Ted Cruz. I've met him once. I don't know what his motivations are in this filibuster. But I can tell you this. The people that you want the votes of in this next primary are desperate. They're watching their way of life erode away. And as Thomas Jefferson once posed to his old friend John Adams at the end of their days, as they were exchanging correspondence on a regular basis with each other, name a nation that once it's lost its virtue has ever recovered it in all of human history. That's how a lot of your voters feel right now, my friend. And they feel like they, the left is backing them up against a cliff. And they gave, they gave here, and then they gave here, and then they gave here, and then they gave here. And now they feel like they're up against the cliff. They can't back anymore because the next step back is over the cliff. If you want their votes, get in the arena and fight with them. Come up with a better way than Ted Cruz's filibuster to end Obamacare then. But you don't want to be the person standing on the sidelines. When, when your base is picking up rocks, dirt, cigarette butts, whatever's sitting there in the ground, when they're picking up whatever they can and throwing it at the adversary that is pushing them back to the brink, you don't want to be the guy standing on the sideline saying, you know what, though, I, I wouldn't throw that rock. It's too heavy. I mean, cigarette butts aren't going to do anything. Sand, dirt, wind will blow it away. No. You want to be the candidate who gets in there and fights in the arena and gets your hands dirty with them. He didn't understand at the time, probably understands now that he's working in the Trump White House. His candidate, I think, got five more votes in the Iowa caucuses than I did. Ted Cruz got, ended up getting a historic uh, turnout. More votes than any politicians ever received ever in the Iowa caucuses, ever. And the reason why is because of what I just said. It is weird for me today to find myself. This is why we don't get into personalities on the show. If I would have gotten up this morning, you would have told me, Steve, on a key cultural uh, fight, you're going to find yourself more comfortable today with David French than Ben Shapiro. I'd have never believed it. All right. I can't even. Aaron wants to talk to me about David French all the time. What do I tell you, Aaron? I blocked him. I, well, I didn't block him. I had to mute him. I had to get him out of my Twitter. Yes, feed I told you to stop. David French man bad. Ben Shapiro is one of my all time faves. I, I think I might enjoy his success more than my own because he's had a lot more of it. And it gives me hope that you can be this successful in this business without selling out to the tribalism. But I totally. But but. This is what I would say to a man who endorsed my, my, my last three books. And I adore Ben. This is what I would say to Eric Erickson, who's endorsed a couple of my books as well. This isn't a time for strategy. This isn't a time for, let me explain to you why I'm okay with rape exceptions. Despite the fact, you know, all those exceptions you guys want to be for, I've got, I've got members in my family who are alive today, conceived in rape, incest, 
You're basically saying I'm, I would have been okay if they would have been killed. But, but you know, I, I didn't like Iowa's heartbeat bill last year because it had more exceptions than the end of my arm. We didn't come on here every day and complain about it, though. In fact, we supported it. Why? Because even though I didn't like all the exceptions in it, it begged the core question I've been trying to get us as a pro-life movement to force all my career. When does a life begin? Now you're telling me a heartbeat isn't a life? What is a life then? And so I put up with things I don't agree with because I agreed overall with its core argument. And I'm always the one accused of not being willing to compromise. This is, this is not the time, you know, for the Matt Lewis, I, you know, CNN will kick me off if I back this bill. I don't care about your cable news contributor gig. This isn't the time for us to find our nuance. States overwhelmingly now are beginning to sound the shofar. Show up for the fight. We've been trying to get them to do this my entire career. And I inherited this fight when I started my career. It's been going on. Like I've said to you many times, we haven't had a case before the Supreme Court that challenged the merits of Roe since Casey in 1993. Aaron, what year were you born? 93. The year you were born, man. To, to, to people I admire and revere and respect and like, please don't do this. We need you. There's better ways to do things. We can always find different ways and perfect ways to rewrite something. But the debate, the fight we've always wanted to have, and I'm not talking to Pat Robertson. He's a senile old fool. To people who have been real warriors in the past, this, is, this, is, this isn't time for nuance. The people we've been trying to get to be sick and tired of the killing finally seem to be getting sick and tired of the killing Join us, please. We need you. We can debate each other with nuance later. But we have a real chance here. The enemy is on the run. When, and I've never seen us play offense on this issue my entire career. And we're doing it right now. Don't muzzle the ox while it's treading its grain. Please don't. Please don't. We need you. We need you in this fight. Don't stand off to the side and critique the way people are fighting it when they're actually fighting it for the first time. At least as long as I can remember. I say that with all sincerity to people I like, respect, adore, cheer for, emulate in some ways. Don't do, don't do this. And I think I speak for a lot of your audiences too by saying this to you. This is not the time for high-minded intellect. This is the time for five smooth stones. We're in the valley. Join us.
if you're one of millions of Americans that believe you have just to decide to live with what's called chronic pain, which is pain that doesn't come from an injury, but from inflammation in the body, I may have the long-awaited solution for you. So many of us here at The Blaze, and I would now count myself among them, have had uh, success stories with a product called Relief Factor. It is 100% drug-free, even though it is created by actual doctors. But they wanted to come up with a natural solution to fighting inflammation in the body. That's what's causing your chronic pain, all that inflammation in the body. It's got four key natural ingredients that help your body win the fight against that inflammation. And you can try it now for just a dollar a day for three weeks. All right. It's what they call their starter pack. And they offer this because so many of the people that use this uh, on a starter basis see results that make them say, hey, I've got to stick around. I just ran out of my starter pack and I was firing off desperate emails yesterday. I need some more of this. All right. I'm, I'm a, Hey, then I tried this product and now I'm a believer. All right. If you want to try it yourself, uh, the three week starter kit, only 20 bucks. So a dollar a day, just go to the website at relieffactor.com. That is relieffactor.com. Later in this show, you know, we, we talked about the, the stuff that was Aaron's montage today and really the last few days, uh, about the pro-life issue from, from a political standpoint and a cultural standpoint. But uh, at the end, the, towards the end of the show today, we're going to talk about it from a strictly spiritual one. And we might end up doing even a little preaching. So I want to warn you now, well, more than we normally do, uh, warn you now in advance. All right. But we'll come back, give everybody a chance, take a deep breath with three non-political questions first. Next. <laughs> Well, do you have itchy ears, ear pain, that plugged up feeling? Are you constantly asking people to repeat themselves? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then you could very well have a trip to the doctor's office uh, in the foreseeable future, which means uh, a long wait, maybe. Also means a copay, likely. Maybe even a prescription, probably. Uh, what though, and then you'll put it off, of course, because you don't want to deal with those hassles until it gets worse or worse or worse. And yes, I don't know. It's a, I know it's not a word, but I think it... It's used for great effect in this case. Uh, if, if you want to avoid all of those worser problemos happening to you, uh, you need to try WaxRx. It is a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively uh, removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear with a pH condition formula, just like they do right there at the doctor's office. And now you can uh, use WaxRx without a prescription as well. Try it risk-free today. Just go to the website, use WaxRx.com. All one word there. Use WaxRx. All one word. Use WaxRx.com. Offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. Uh, Offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. The website again. Use WaxRx.com. And now it's time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, because we need a break from, you know, talisman sales on uh, on preaching shows. You know what? Can I say something about sure. that really quick? My first thought as I watched that video, 
I will rarely open this Pandora's box, and I really don't want to do it in a day that Todd is not here. But given the subject matter, I think it is timely to do so. If, if you are one of those super Protestants that wants to know why Aaron and I don't sit here and gang up on poor Todd every single day on behalf of, of uh, 1,800 years of Catholicism yep. and make him our straw man. Why do they pray to saints? Why do they have relics? Uh, here, here, that video, that video, just one of a myriad of reasons why. When you're done cleaning the speck or the beam, in this case, out of your own eye, or maybe I should say, when you're done cl- uh, cleaning the gold coin out of your eye, when you're done doing that, um, then maybe you can have a conversation with Todd and his fellow Catholics about their belief in relics. By the way, they're, they are, they're, they're looking at relics of things that they traditionally believe are actual preserved through history symbols of the faith. In this case, this dude just got a piece of gold with a coin That's a trinket. on it with the president's face on it and, and said he tried to get the Sanhedrin model. It's like he's just telling you, hey, I'm, I'm speaking for demons. When he just throws out the word Sanhedrin like that. You know, in okay. fairness, though, Jim Baker did have a gold coin when Barack Obama was president with Barack Oh, no, that didn't yeah. happen. So when, when you guys, when, you, when you're done with that, all right, then, then, I, then I might, I might uh, stop uh, playing human shield for Todd and force him to actually defend himself. But in this case, there's nothing for him to defend when you look at uh, what we are doing over here in the Protestant camp. Uh, clean up your own uh, house first yeah. is typically how uh, the kingdom of God operates. Now, Aaron, you can do three non-political questions. Yes, and because Todd is gone today, you're going to have to pull double duty, uh, Mr. Days. You're going to have to answer for yourself and then uh, pretend to be Todd for his answers as well. All right, first question. Vaccines. I'm just kidding. Um, what's the... <laughs> I was literally walking off the set of my own show. I was, I, I was, I was, I was going to walk off. Yes. Uh, what's the worst... It's a two-part question. What's the okay. worst advice you've ever given? What's the worst advice you've ever received? The worst advice I've ever given, because I have given some doozies, man. I mean, I have, and, and I'm not, wow. I think the best advice, I mean, I, are we talking Jesus jukes aside? Jesus jukes aside, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, best advice I've ever given uh, is, um, I could come up with several. Uh, you can judge a church by the way it treats the book of Romans. That's a pretty good yeah. litmus test. Yeah. All right. You know, so people ask me about, you know, they, I get emails. Of, I, I mean, I, I don't go to your church in Atlanta. I don't know. You know, and I get why you would come to us and ask us for, um, you know, for uh, some feedback because we cover these issues on a, on a global scale, but on an individual one, you know, so if, if, you're, if you belong to a church that you won't preach the book of Romans or tiptoes around it, yeah, that's a pretty good sign. You might be in the wrong building there. Okay, uh, you, uh, um, I, my two daughters, all their lives, the piece of advice I've given them uh, is to look for uh, two qualities in a husband: uh, do they love Jesus, and have they had their ass kicked at least once in life? Doesn't mean they had to be in a literal fight. Although, frankly, that does kind of help. To be honest, haven't been in a few. There's there's a lot, lot, and I lost there, a few too. There's I, a lot of people on uh, social media who have not been in a real fight in their life. I, you know, yeah. No doubt about that. I've had my nose bloodied. I've had to look at my bloody lip. And you know what? You know why that's good, by the way? 
is because you you get over fear of it happening again once you go through it once, right? So, but it can be proverbial. Have they been fired from a job? You know, have they overcome a, a you know something of substance to show that when they have been knocked down, can they get back up? Because if the answer is no, then you're going to marry a guy who's either a incredibly arrogant because he's going to think he's bulletproof and he's going to be reckless in his decision-making, or you're going to be marry a guy who's incredibly passive and you're going to do his job as well as yours in the relationship, right? You don't want to do that. I think that's pretty good advice. Sure. Um, What's the worst advice you've ever given? Uh, worst advice I've ever given. Wow. Um, trusting someone who had previously, to, to, that we should trust someone who had previously shown to me that uh, they're not trustworthy. And it, it's because I, and, and it had dire consequences. And it's because I had not gotten to a place yet where I was comfortable with the word no. You know, I've, I, my wife doesn't have to do this for me as much anymore. I still utilize her skills in this area. But she's a bloodhound when it comes to human nature. I am far too initially trusting. At least I used to be. I've, I've kind of gotten uh, tougher in that regard. You know, so, you know, I'd, I'd meet with a politician or somebody bring me a business opportunity. And I'd like it like right away. And she'd be like, eh, pump the brakes, you know. Uh, so the, the times I've not taken her advice in that area and given counter advice literally every time I have it's blown up in my face and I've been wrong. And, and so, uh, I had to learn that one kind of the hard way. Gotcha. You know? All right, Todd, worst advice you've ever given. Um, let's talk. What do you think of eschatology? (laughs) (laughs) Um, worst advice. Uh, I think Todd would say it would find some way to mix in a take about instant replay mm-hmm. that he, the worst advice he ever gave was, you know, I think we need instant replay for controversial calls. And now years later, he realizes the, uh, what he's unleashed upon a poor unsuspecting populace. And so he has recognized the error of his ways. Think that's a legit answer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, worst advice I've ever given. I had a buddy who had uh, who was not happy with his current employment, and I encouraged him to just stick it out, thinking that it would get better, uh, and it did not. And he passed up another opportunity. Uh, I think not completely because of my advice, but I encouraged him to just stick it out because you know, if you don't, uh, what's the phrase? Love the one you're with. Uh, uh-huh. Can't be with the one you love, yeah. honey. Love the one you're with. Yeah, because right. so, it, it didn't seem like the other opportunity. Um, he did eventually get out of that job, but uh, that was not some good advice at all. Um, moving on, a space alien. Oh boy, comes and lands in your backyard, never been on Earth before, and asks to be given a comprehensive overview of the planet they just arrived on. Where do you begin? A space alien lands in my backyard and yes. asks them to give a comprehensive what now overview of the planet they just landed on. Yep. Where so you you're begin? basically Earth's ambassador. You're giving him a class in Earth 101. Um, or her. I don't mean to assume, assume gender. I, I would tell them to... But the, for the whole planet? Yeah. For the whole planet? Yep. It's a comprehensive See, question. It is a comprehensive question. Because, you know, for there's a lot of people that believe in premillennial eschatology. 
that are growing more confident in their belief because they see the decline of Western civilization and the secularization and the rise of Islam in place of the church, right? Right. Yeah. But but if you go outside of Western civilization, I mean, I was just I was just listening to a podcast on this topic like a week ago, and uh, he the guy hosting the podcast was like, you know what is fasting? Everywhere else I go in the world, everywhere else I go in the world, uh, as an evangelist, as an expositor, Christianity is flourishing, if not dominating, everywhere else on this planet, except when I come to the West. And he said, he's like, he, and I agree with him. He thinks that feeds doomsday eschatological notions of people who have an, a, an Amerocentric view of things. What was the primary um, eschatological view prior to World War I and World War II? Uh, it, was not, it, was, it was not premillennial yeah. dispensationalism, no. Although it was gaining popularity at that time. Yeah, yeah. but, you know. Yeah. But it still was not the, the overall dominant view, particularly yeah. pre-World War I. By yes. World War II, it had kind of become far more mainstream. But pre-World War I, it was absolutely not the dominant view of the Western, uh, uh, the Western Christian church. So um, here's what I will do. I will give them negative advice. All right? Don't watch any cable news. Yeah. Like any channel, anywhere. Like Al Jazeera. CNN, not, don't don't watch any cable news. Um, if you do, you will be convinced we are on the brink of thermonuclear uh, annihilation at any moment. If not, uh, the sun is going to blow us up. Uh, you know, we're, we're krypton. The sun's going to cause us to explode, right? Uh, or we all hate each other, right? So this would be the place where I would tell them to start. Don't watch any cable news. Stay off of Twitter. Yeah. And 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 go and meet in person as many people as you possibly can. That would be my advice. All right, Todd. What's, uh, wh- where do you begin giving the down low on planet Earth to an alien that lands in your backyard? This is where I think Todd would sit back and listen to my answer, kind of do that little nod he does uh-huh. and go, yeah, I like that. I think that's a good answer. I think I'll go with that. Okay. I, I did, well, you tell me if you think that's I, a legit take. I, I, yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. I, I think he would probably try to spin it into something uh, involving instant replay, like the last uh, answer as well. We should just make that every answer. Yeah, every replay. every question Todd would find some way to impugn. Yep. Maybe he would reply. Maybe he'd replace "stay off of Twitter" with "no, yeah, stay stay off of instant replay." Yes. Yeah. Replay review is the devil. I would say um, it's a nice place. Uh, total depravity. So if you have the ability, uh, go back from whence you came. You know, if if you're, you know, if if unless you want to get your hands dirty, um, you know, that this is another theological conversation we'd have to have. But you know, unless you want to get your hands dirty, but um, it seems like you have a vast amount of technology where you could just, you know, kind of kind of leave us in the dust. Uh, question three: You're tasked with inventing a new sport. It has to become America's pastime in the next 50 years. What is the sport called, and how do you win the game? <sighs> what is the sport called if I had to invent a new sport? Um, you know what? I'm going to do Todd a solid. Okay. Okay. I'm going to take the beautiful game, soccer. All right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to put a blue line. I'm going to put a blue line in soccer so there is a neutral zone. Okay. So we have a clearly defined offsides. 
All right. I'm going to, I'm going to alter the offsides rule so that it means something more than you are faster than the defender getting to the ball. Therefore you are offsides. And that's why every damn game's one nil. Okay. With, with nine shots on goal in 90 minutes. Okay. I'm going to have a zero tolerance policy for flopping automatic ejection on the first offense and then deportation from the sport upon any further offenses, which there won't be anymore because you're deported. Um, and um, I'm going to allow for, we're going to put fewer players on the field. So what are they, what is it? Is it nine aside now? Is that right? I have no idea. I don't, I haven't covered it in a long time, but I think it's nine aside. It's 11 aside. Thank you, Ron. Voice in the ear. So we'll go to nine aside. That's what we'll do. We'll put nine aside. Open the field up more. More athleticism. Higher scoring. All right? More skill is required. And I'm going to take soccer, and I'm going to de-turd world it, and I'm going to amerocentric it like a son of a gun. All right? And, and I'm going to call it amerosport. That's what I'm going to call it. Yeah. Amero sport. And we're going to take everything out of soccer that allows Bolivia to be better at it than us, allows Ghana to matter. We're going to take all of that out. Just nobody cares. All right. And um, uh, this is a sport, not a mission field, a ministry. Okay. So, and we're going to make it where bigger, stronger, faster is rewarded in all that they do. That's, what, that's the sport I would make. Todd, what's the sport uh, you would make? This is sports the, with no instant replay. Yeah, this is the part where Todd would say, yes. "I would have, uh, I would, I would invent a sport where you have, I don't know, like a wooden like bat type thing and uh, pitchers. Yeah, that's a position that you will throw this bat at. We'll call it a batter since he's holding the bat, and the batter tries to hit it as hard as he can. And there's no replay review, and I'm going to call it baseball because he's running around at different bases. That's that's the part Todd would say. I would do a, um, I would do a variation. I think on rugby. Um, but with pads, I guess I'm just describing football now. That, that we have a game but, that does that. Yeah, but <laughs> I would do something. I would I would make the the rugby pitch like I don't know two or three times as big as it is, and it would just be and maybe double the amount of players on both sides of the field, and it's just one massive game of capture the flag just with I hear a ball. That would that would one be more fun. thing I would do in my Amero sport is yeah. the referees when a goal is scored, they would come out like when a touchdown is scored in Australian rules football, mm-hmm. and they come out and they used to do this. And then, and then waddle back. They waddle in and then waddle back. I want my referees to do that. I like it. Understood. Uh, that's all the questions that we have. Well, if you watched uh, 60 Minutes recently, I think it was even just uh, last week's episode, they had the FBI's former head of cybercrimes uh, featured, and he was warning homeowners uh, that foreign and domestic thieves can steal your home, and they can do it all online. And that's because home titles and mortgages are kept in databases that can be hacked. If you've got equity in your home, here's how they can get to you. They simply forge their name onto your home's title, use your home's collateral to borrow cash. That's what they're looking for. They want to liquidate your equity, your investment. And then no bank or identity theft uh, program will protect you when they stick you with the payments. So that's why you need Home Title Lock, America's leading title and mortgage guardian for pennies a day. Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage. If cyber thieves tamper with it, 
home title lock mobilizes to shut them down. Find out now if you've already, if you've already been targeted, you might already be a victim. Here's how. Uh, just go to the website, hometitlelock.com. You can sign up there for a free title scan and report. This is normally a $100 value, but they're giving this away to you today for being a part of our family at The Blaze. They'll give it to you for free. Don't let cyber thieves steal your home. Go to hometitlelock.com. Get your free title scan and report right now at hometitlelock.com. Dot com. All right, before we close out hour one, I want to warn you about hour two. It's going to be some double-barreled Theology Thursday action. And, I, you know, I, we get, I get more reaction to that segment than any other regular segment we do. And, and all of it so far has been, I wish you guys would do this more often. Even, I even get emails from atheist or more secular-minded uh, listen, viewers, listeners, and they find it fascinating uh, the way that we tackle this. Uh, so we're going to have a double barreled theology Thursday next hour. We're going to, um, we're going to be joined by a guy. My wife's a big fan of this guy. Uh, you may have seen him as one of the subject matter experts that was called during the, uh, the trial, uh, the religious freedom trial that was featured in God's not dead Two. His name is Jay Warner Wallace of cold case Christianity. He's got a brand new book out. He's going to join us at the top of the hour. And then we are going to look at what's happening in the pro-life battle in America, strictly from a spiritual lens. I had an epiphany about this this morning. I want to share it with you. We're going to do that when we come back here with our number two, stay tuned. We're back with hour number two, live and on demand, but not all that much in demand uh, here on the Steve Day Show, here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Let us know what you think about what we think. You can email the program, steve at stevedace.com. Uh, like us on Facebook, who doesn't like us. So if you maybe hit the like button 38 times, Facebook might count one. What are we up to, Aaron? 542 likes in seven months or something? Last time I checked, it was 566, so it's probably around 400 now. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, we have other social media pages that are absolutely exploding. Makes total sense, or not. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. We've got a fun hour here for some double-barreled Theology Thursday uh, action coming your way. But first, I want to let you know, there is a really cool trip uh, that uh, that Glenn Beck and a lot of the VIPs here at Blaze TV uh, and radio are putting together next spring. Uh, gourmet Italian food, great nightlife, relaxing poolside on deck. Oh, and you're going to learn a thing or two as well. Uh, it's it's a cruise through history. You're going to go to the Eastern Mediterranean. You're going to visit Italy, Croatia, uh, Jerusalem, Israel, Athens, and Greece. You're going to explore the roots of Western civilization. Uh, you're going to explore Venice, the birthplace of commerce, uh, tour Greece, the origin of the Republic, democracy. You're going to go to the Holy Land and walk where Christ and the disciples did. If this sounds like something you want to do, uh, families are welcome as well. There are uh, various uh, packages and things you can learn, get the details of this trip as well. Uh, this is coming next spring. Just go to the website, come sail away. And I cannot believe Sticks did not buy that URL, by the way. I couldn't believe that was available. <laughs> come sail. I mean, you're a, you're a hit band. That's your signature song and you didn't buy your own URL. Yeah. But apparently it's available. Comesailaway.com is the website. That's comesailaway.com if you want to learn more about uh, what inspired American exceptionalism uh, on this cruise coming up a year from now.
Well, let's get going with Theology Thursday, and we've got a guest for part one of this conversation this week. Uh, it's, uh, it's a book co-written by Sean McDowell, uh, the son of Josh McDowell, who is one of the men I would like to be one day when I actually decide to grow up. Uh, and Jay Warner Wallace, it's got an interesting foreword from a, a former Super Bowl MVP, Nick Foles, now the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's called So the Next Generation Will Know, and Jay Warner Wallace, its co-author, joins us now here on the Steve Day Show. It is uh, good to meet you, Jim. Fan of your work. My wife's a big fan of your work. She started following after uh, she saw you in the uh, God's Not Dead 2 movie. So it's a pleasure to have you with us, man. How are you? Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I guess uh, Sticks should have bought that URL. I was thinking the same thing as I'm watching it. But it's not available anymore because it belongs to that company now. So. Yeah, I wonder if there's any, any if you know a great rock band of yesteryear and, and they have not bought the URL to their magnum opus, get their attention right now. All right, because I they're know. missing out. Apparently, uh, they are not touring anymore. I guess right. I, I only think it was explain that, but anyway, you haven't. Before we get to the book specifically, I want to get to your background in this subject matter because okay. uh, you kind of can't. You kind of came to the faith from the outside in. Tell us, a, tell our audience a little bit about you and the world that you came from. So I, I was working as a detective in Los Angeles County. I did most of my uh, career here working cold case homicides. Um, and I, I I was not a Christian, not raised in a Christian setting. Um, my wife was more interested in going to church, really, I, th- I thought at the time, just to kind of raise our kids, because we weren't sure, you know, should mm-hmm. we were together about 18 years at this time. And I, I had never stepped foot in an evangelical church for anything other than a funeral. You know, I, this was not my, I was not interested. Uh, and I didn't know anybody. Who was so? So, but when I did step in, the pastor that day happened to say that Jesus was super smart. He thought, at least, he was super smart, and I, that challenged me to pick up um, a, a Bible to, to go get one, to buy one, and to read the Gospels to see what it was that this dude said that was so smart. And after doing that, I began to look at it and think, well, you know, there were aspects of the Gospel accounts that bugged me because they had the texture of eyewitness accounts and the level to which they disagreed because all eyewitnesses disagree. I work a lot of cases from 35 years ago and all I have are reports and these reports don't match. They don't line up. And so I I recognize that the variation between accounts is important. And I saw this in the gospels. And so I decided to test them under the rubric that we use to test eyewitnesses in court. That's how I became a Christian. Now, I can tell you that after becoming a Christian, I started to work as a youth pastor, ultimately, you know, years later, as my kids got older. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to seminary, um, and I decided to to be a youth pastor, and I was terrible at it the first year. <laughs> I just think I, I didn't pass on the reason why I became a Christian. I was far more involved in the arts because my background before becoming a detective, I was a designer. So I, I, I was kind of stuck in that mode. You have had an eclectic life. I don't, yeah, I've never well, met anyone helpful. who went from designer to homicide detective in one of the murder capitals of North America, by the way. And then what do you do yes. now? I'm a youth pastor. That, that That is a long, strange trip there, Jerry Garcia. All right. Yeah, it, it was a strange. It prepared me, I think, to write a book like this only because if anyone can figure out how to mess this up, it was me. <laughs> and you, know, you can get wisdom Wisdom almost always comes out of your mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't have to make the mistakes personally. You can actually just observe the mistakes of others and become wiser. And that's what I'm hoping people will do with this book because I think it really does point to how it is we uh, um, helped stem the tide because I saw it in my own youth group. The first year of, of seniors I graduated, almost all of them walked away from the church by the time they were at their um, like Thanksgiving break of their freshman year. And I thought, 
whatever I'm doing, mm. it's not going to continue this way. I'm going to change it. And we shifted toward a model that retained our students. And that's what we're trying to talk about in this book. What was the previous model that failed first? Yeah, I'm a big believer. You know, I've been involved in strategy and messaging for political campaigns. I do it on my shows. And I've, I've always preached that you cannot reform and until you have honestly assessed why you previously failed. So what oh, yeah. was the model that didn't work? Well, that's true. And I think a lot of it was experiential for me. I was look, thinking as a designer. I was, cons- I was concerned about what is the visual audio what is the experience that my young people were have are going to have when they came here knowing that like other churches probably the 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 priority our church had was to bring young people get that group large to create a larger group and so i thought well how do i how do i do that right a lot of us as youth pastors we we start to play games we eat a lot of pizza we do all those things that youth pastors do mm-hmm. trying to grow the size of a group and and what i realized is that isn't how kids stay in the faith as a matter of fact when young people leave the faith today and we asked them in college about what time, when was it exactly you checked out? It wasn't like they checked out in their freshman year of college. They actually check out, they say, between the ages of 10 and 17 while they're with us without telling us that they are checking out. So I knew I could reach this group much earlier and give them reasons to stay in the faith, to demonstrate for them, especially in a digital age where everyone's able to fact check everything you say. I needed to be able to help them know why this is true. That is the single largest category of barriers to faith that young people list. They don't think that the Christian worldview is compatible with the scientific worldview, with the naturalistic worldview they're being fed. And so they think that there's no way to reconcile these two things. This is not something you can make a case for evidentially. It's something you have to simply embrace on wholesale blind faith. And that is not something that seems attractive to a generation that has got the glowing rectangle in their hands Mm -hmm. and can fact check everything. By the way, the glowing rectangle is the product of the technology that they would say uh, leads us to truth faster than and, and more reliably than than your Christian faith does. So we need to be able to help them see how reasonable this worldview is. It's it's interesting you would look at it that way because that's also I came at this from the outside in too. I mean, I was born to a 15-year-old mom. I grew up in a pagan home. You know, some years when I was younger, we might go on Christmas and Easter, but I had really no church background whatsoever. And, you know, my, my background is philosophy, history, political science. And so, you know, knowing those things and working in conservative political circles, I came across a lot of Christians. I understood the historical significance of Christianity, like a lot of Americans, because, you know, it's what Abraham Lincoln used to call America's civil religion, a uh, generic belief in the Ten Commandments, a uh, love of the Constitution and patriotism. Yeah. And that means I'm a Christian, right? And that, right. that and I, and I, I used to believe that till I met a lot of Christians in politics and realized they were different than me on moral levels and other levels. So we might have some of the same external views, but we were not necessarily the same. And, and so it, to me, it was hard for me to go from a philosophical leap to, well, Christianity's had a positive influence like uh, Socrates, uh, like Aristotle, yeah. uh, you know, like any other, you know, like Locke and Hobbes. Okay. I, 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 you know, that doesn't mean that it can be, so it can be intrinsically good or worthy. That doesn't mean though it saves me or it doesn't necessarily convict me that I need a savior. And so yeah. when I started looking at it, like you looked at it, you know, from a homicide rubric, I started looking at it philosophically because to me, you can't save me if you can't answer the the deepest questions that I long to have the answers for. 
And when I stacked Christianity up philosophically against all the other major worldviews of this age, the only one I found, Jim, that could, I didn't necessarily even like some of the answers. It wasn't a question of whether I liked them. It was whether they were rational answers, real answers, okay? Plausible. The only one that checked all the boxes that answered these questions, why is the world the way that it is? Why are we the way that we are? And what can be done about it? The only one that answered all three of those questions with a plausible explanation, whether I subjectively, humanistically approved of the answers or not, the only one that answered those three key core questions was Christianity. And that's then what convicted me to then look at my own personal biases, my own uh, personal salvation, and once it passed that initial intellectual test for me. Yeah, you know what you just said is so powerful because if we were able to articulate our Christian worldview, our Christian beliefs, and ground it the way you just did for our kids. But I will tell you that most of us are not Christians because we came to this from some philosophical, evidential mm-hmm. angle. Uh, we are Christians because vast, vast majority are because we were raised in the church. And that is something that we have kind of inherited a, a view of the world from our parents. And this is still the way that most believers in anything have adopted their beliefs. We see this not just in, in Christianity. The, 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 the most um, effective determiner of what it is you will believe today is most likely what is it your parents believed when you were growing up. Right. And that is true across the globe. This is why Islam is growing in Europe. It's growing by biology, not by proselytization. It's not growing because of evangelism on the part of Muslims. It's growing mm-hmm. because they are outnumbering their, their, their counterparts in their birth rate. And so we have to help young Christians be able to come at it the way you just described it. The fact that you could, for those things you just said, that trying to answer the question that worldview answers, right? How did it, how do we get here? Why is it so messed up? And how do we fix it? Mm-hmm. Those questions you have now in your mind, you're able to articulate the Christian answer that was actually uh, positive for you, that was that was um, uh, uh, rewarding for you, that was made sense to you, Okay. Well, how many of us as Christians can do that for our kids? To be honest, most of us haven't even examined some of these issues yet. And so when we are pressed because some uh, objector on on the Internet has now convinced one of your kids that this is not probably true, Mm -hmm. and now they come to you with that objection, are you ready? Are you prepared to be able to respond to the objection? Mostly what we do is we kind of panic, and we point our kids to a source for information, Mm -hmm. which is fine. But – it's in the context of relationship that truth is most persuasive. And we talk about this in the book that we cannot just simply say, here's a claim. That's fine. You can do that. But when the claim is attached to an authority who, with whom you have a relationship, now you're in a different position. I would far rather parents know enough about why this is true philosophically, evidentially, historically, so they can communicate it on a personal level to their kids than simply point them to one of us as a source and buy our book. No, no, no. You learn the material that are in the books so that you can become the best Christian apologist that your kids know. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about today in relationship to the book and, and what you and Sean are trying to do, I'm, uh, this is going to be, uh, I'm going to try to make it as l- the least long winded I can, but it's a personal experience okay. that I think it's good for the audience to hear me share it. Okay. Because okay. it's, it's going to be an experience. A lot of them have as, as yeah. Christian parents as well. So, I, I mean, I got converted. My oldest daughter um, was really the initial prick against my conscience that God used to get my attention. The idea that, there's she, with with what I had modeled to me as a as a father growing up, she had no shot. We gotta, 
you know, uh, we got to look for some help here. You know, that was, that was, the, those are some of the initial seed plantings uh, of getting my attention uh, that the Lord used. And so my oldest daughter, Anna, she graduates from high school this weekend. She personality wise is, is a carbon copy of me. And she has literally grown up in an environment where she's watched her father get converted when she was a very little girl. Uh, and, and then watch him go through a sanctification process, a growth process. She used to come with me when I would, uh, you know, I started speaking uh, about my faith and in churches and organizations around my home state of Iowa. I'd bring her with me when she was little. She's seen her dad go on trips around the country to do the same. So she, uh, I, she, I even taught at her homeschool co-op, I even taught the worldview class for two years. And one of the main reasons why was she had to take the class to graduate. And it was my opportunity to directly engage her on this level before she became an adult. At the same time, because she's like me, she likes to think for herself and she's a contrarian and she likes to ask snotty questions because she's like me. I like to do that too. Um, and an experience I had with some friends of ours when I was new in the faith and their son had come home from college and they were in a panic about what he had, he had, he had come home for the first time over Thanksgiving and he was engaging them on faith issues and, and they've sold it to me. Like he was completely rebelling against everything. And will you, and I told him to come talk to you. Will you talk to him? I said, sure. And their son comes and talks to me. And what I realized from engaging him, Jim is, uh, this was the first time his faith had been externally challenged was on this university campus. And he comes home from Thanksgiving thinking his parents are going to have the answers because they had the answers when he was a kid. And so right. he was looking for reassurance. He wasn't challenging. He was looking for, you know, reinforcements here. And the parents were in a panic because they didn't know the answers either. So I was wow. like, I can't do this to my own children. Right. And 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 because they're, my children's dad is a quote-unquote professional culture warrior, for lack of a better description, I can't overwhelm them with the faith either. Where everything we do, be, like they they aren't individuals outside of their dad's faith and line of work, right? And yeah. so I've kind of been doing the 38 special hold on loosely thing where it yeah. is clearly communicated <laughs> what dad believes, what mom believes, what the expectations in the home are. We go to church as a family. We do all those things, but I don't, I'm, I'm really not militant like, hey, we have to have a 20 minute devotional every night or I failed as a father, right? And, and because I'm afraid because of all the stuff I bring to the table doing this for a living, I've been afraid that if I do that, if I push them too much, I'm going to push them away. And so now my oldest daughter is getting ready to graduate. She's gifted in the arts. Uh, she's uh, performed in plays here in the local civic center and throughout town. Uh, and, and, and she's really good at engaging people that don't share our beliefs, which is good because guess what you predominantly find in the arts, Jim? Yeah. People that don't oh, yeah. share our beliefs. And yeah. so I'm at this position now as a parent where I was not afraid of her driving because I trained her. So I knew she could do it. But now I have that fear. Like she comes home and I and, and I'm like I'm like I'm looking like this, you know. I mean, I want her to engage her unbelieving friends and stuff, but I'm concerned about how they'll influence her. And I kind of am at that stage now where I feel like I just have to pray and trust that I did the best I could and her mom and I did the best we could. And now it's time for her to, to learn who she is and be have a direct relationship with her creator. But it's really hard for me. And I can feel her yeah. testing me again because she's like me. I can tell she's testing me like, hey, if I go out with one of my pagan friends and we go to this play, are you going to judge me? I can tell she's doing it. And I don't want to, and I know better than to take the bait, but I kind of want to take the bait, Jim. You know what I'm saying? I, I kind of, no, you know better, right? And so I know there's a lot of parents, even if their life experience or jobs are not yes. like mine, have a yes. similar view right now. Their kids are getting ready to become adults. What counsel do you have for them? 
Well, the first thing, of course, I'm thinking is, did 38 Special buy that URL? For that <laughs> Sorry, that's the first thing I'm thinking. Anyway, no. Yeah, I get it. I mean, what you're saying is absolutely right, uh, that we all are going to have those fears. Even if you do a great job, we still have trepidation occasionally about whether they'll survive in culture. But you cannot be salt in the world if you're not in the world. Mm. So what I want my kids to be is inoculated well enough to know that they are salt. So that when they go out into the arts, you know, my sons have both been in one ver version of science or another. You know, my, my son Jimmy was in psychology. My son David was biochemist. Now he's an anesthesiologist. I knew that they were going to be in places where perhaps a, a supernatural view of the world would not be embraced. Mm -hmm. I get that. So I tried my best to do the things that you've done in front of your kids. You realize that your kids are far more likely to stay in the faith if they've seen you reason through the faith with others. If they've heard you kind of wrestle with these ideas out loud, I can tell you that we were afraid when we wrote this book that people would see it as, oh, my gosh, you know, another area I, I need to feel bad about, right? Because I have not done the job maybe I should have done or could have done, right? Another bunch of things I'm supposed to add to my calendar that mm -hmm. I don't even have time for now. No, 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 no. What we want to do is provide you with uh, uh, enough insight so when the organic opportunities come and you're in the car listening to that song or you're watching that play together or you're watching that movie together, how can you use this opportunity to launch something that feels less uh, combative, feels less um, over um, um, overriding or over overpowering? But it just provides you with opportunities to begin conversations that slowly inoculate, inoculate your kids from bad ideas. Because it's in this context of relationships, Steve, that you have with your kids that, trust me, is far more powerful than any relationship they're going to have on the other. Now, now I, I will tell you, sadly, that when we talk to some folks who have walked away from their faith as young, as young people, they will also describe for us, not necessarily connecting the two dots, that they have broken relationships with with either Christians or with their family. Mm -hmm. And so I think in the end, I'm okay with just developing the relationship. If I if perhaps you feel like I've been 70% relationship, 30% data with my kids, that's okay. As long as you provided some data. Because it turns out that the most influence you are going to have with your kids is when truth claims are shared in the context of relationship. Mm. One of the data things we saw in studying Gen Z is that although they have access to more information than any other generation, they have less trust in the in the data points and mm -hmm. the authority of those uh, sources for information. I can I can understand why. If you know enough to be articulate about your Christian beliefs about the truth claims of Christianity, well, you have an advantage that websites don't have. You have the context of relationship in which, so when, the, when those kids come back and they ask their parents in that first break, they, they kind of throw out all the objections they've now heard at, at college or that they've heard even before they get to college. We have to be the people to say, you know what? Great questions. I've had questions about that too. Give me a few days, I'll get back to you. Mm -hmm. Don't point them to anything. Don't deny their question. Embrace the question. Go get the answer. And then you share the answer in the context of your relationship. But I think in the end, you can do all of that. And just like you and me, you can let your kids go and, and wonder, did I do a good enough job? Uh, do, do I need to fear? That's natural, okay? But, but in the end, look, you came to faith as an adult. So did I. I am less um, uptight about where my kids stand at 20, 21, 22, because I know True. where I stood at 21, 22. right. right. So I know that God can do amazing things. We have to just be part of that process. Well, that ought to convince you you need to check out this book, folks. So the next generation will know 
Uh, Sean McDowell and uh, the other co-author, Jay Warner Wallace, been our guest here for this week's Theology Thursday. Jim, it's been a pleasure. We'd definitely love to have you back again uh, here on the program. It uh, Really, we've enjoyed it, man. Thank you. Yeah. Well, please ask me back. I'd love to come and we'll, I'll buy URLs for all the big classic songs before I get back here. Okay. So <laughs> all right, man. Well done. Right. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks. Hey, uh, if, speaking of our kids, uh, we're not getting, they're not getting uh, as, as much uh, fresh food, uh, vegetables, uh, fruits uh, as previous generations have. That's why we're taking so many vitamins, supplements nowadays. And that's where our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, uh, that's where they come in. They've got an outstanding product. We use it in our house and it tastes great and it doesn't have 9,000 calories of sugar as well, which is a benefit. It's called Field of Greens. And when you turn over the label, it won't say supplement facts. It'll say nutrition facts because it's real USD organic fruits and vegetables complete with antioxidants that give you those things we're missing you know those immunity boosters that uh the the prebiotic the probiotic uh, issues as well that's one of the reasons we are having so many digestive issues nowadays that healthy bacteria it's been removed from a lot of the uh you know the processed food we're eating put all that stuff back in your system the way nature and your creator intended and you can get shot you can try it today if you go to the website brickhousesteve.com uh, use my name Steve as a promo code to get 15% off of your first order when you go to brickhousesteve.com so Aaron as the representative of uh, the young generation uh, listening to the uh, generation X uh, Jay Warner Wallace and myself talk about you guys like sure. you're not here mm-hmm. your thoughts yeah this I, I think overall, I think the thing to keep in mind, and this is this is tough for, and I don't I don't want to put myself on a pedestal, but this is tough for me as well when discussing things with people around my age who don't quite dis, don't uh, don't quite see eye to eye. I've brought up, you know, I've had these types of dialogues in 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 college before, the Christian college that I've that I went to, um, where people, I'm like, you should know better than this. Why are you asking this question, or why do you believe this way? I would say for all of us, parents included, but for all of us, if there is any willingness at all to ask questions, and even if, if, even if they're pointed questions, and even if, they don't, even if they're snotty questions, if there's a willingness to ask questions with the motivation of trying to find a good answer for those questions, that is something that needs to be embraced. You know what? You know when you should get really worried? is when your friend, your buddy, somebody you're trying to disciple, um, son, daughter, they don't have any questions. They're just kind of silent, and they kind of have they have the right answers, maybe, um, and they want to talk about something else. That's, that's when you should be worried, when there's no questions, because that's an indication, one, that either things of the faith are irrelevant to them, or they're relevant, but they're just trying to put them off. They're trying to uh, shirk them aside because of shame, whatever the reason is. When they're asking questions, they really do want to go deeper. This is not um, this is not something that um, uh, this is not something where they're just rebelling by ans- by asking questions. So that's that's one thing. The other part of this as well is the element of um, going to our phones. That, that Jay brought up. And there's this term, and I, I think I dropped it earlier this week as well, where we have so much more um, knowledge and access to knowledge than ever before. We have no idea what wisdom is. We have very little wisdom. You can't go up online. You can Google the word wisdom, and you'll have the knowledge of what the word wisdom uh, says. But when you're trying to deduce and when you're trying to discern and when there's so many sorts and sets 
of information coming from different worldviews and different perspectives. How do you sort through that? That's a question that I get all of the time when I'm just trying to do the news and trying to figure up with, you know, keep up with the news. How do you do it? Um, well, a, a lot of discernment and a lot of, of wisdom is, is required. What, it, what makes this dis, it, uh, difficult, though, is that, again, wisdom is something, as, as Jay said, that's acquired often through failure. And mm-hmm. um, when you are— Failure's a, hard. Yeah, failure is hard. <laughs> and when you're younger, guess what you've had less opportunities to most of the time? Fail. Because the older you get, the more, times, the more time you have to fail. Right. So when you're young and you're trying to discern all of this information, there is a propensity just to try to make a decision to come up with your own wisdom, your own special knowledge. Yeah. Yep. And so Gnosticism, I did it too. Yeah, yeah. Gnosticism is a menace. Uh, menace. And I, I, we talked about this in a different context earlier. So that is, that is the big, um, that, that, that's kind of the big takeaway. And, and the way I think you bust through Gnosticism, the same way you bust through any worldview that's developed. You ask questions. So being able to field questions without being defensive and being able to ask challenging questions, those are probably the two biggest things you can do and you need to keep in mind with and be prepared for uh, with my generation. Very well said. And you know, we're seeing this sort of questioning of norms, you know, the whole, uh, since we're doing Theology Thursday, you know, the binding and loosening. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, premise of theology. We're seeing this now, you know, in beyond spiritually, you're seeing this economically with the next generation uh, taking on, uh, you know, the notion of, uh, of socialism. And, and that's why we, we are uh, working with our friends at Swiss America. Uh, they have a new thing, a, a new report that they want to let you know about as well. It's called the secret war. And it explains why the government wants every financial transaction to be taxable, trackable, blockable. Uh, And if you want to figure out uh, how you can navigate this arena, this intersection between socialism and uh, your privacy at the same time and protect your productivity, uh, just go to SwissAmerica.com. That's the website. SwissAmerica.com. And uh, their phone number is 800-289-2646. 800-289-2646. They are totally convinced what's coming next is our own version of China's social credit system. And you're seeing this now with social media companies and their banishings and their terms of ever evolving terms of service. So if you want to get uh, this new report, uh, again, it's called The Secret War. Go to SwissAmerica.com or give them a call at 800-289-2646 at SwissAmerica.com. All right, when we come back here, uh, part two, of uh, this week's Theology Thursday. And I'm going to return to the pro-life issue. We talked about it uh, from a political standpoint at the at the top of the show. We're going to finish the show talking about what is happening right now spiritually. And there's something I want to share with you along those lines, and we'll do that here next on The Blaze. Stay tuned. So most of us don't have a stoplight at the kitchen table that says, hey, you're done eating. You've consumed enough. Move on here. But we do have one uh, that's naturally present in our bodies. It's called OEA. It sends a signal to the brain from the gut that says, hey, we're full down here. It's all good. We can stop eating. Unfortunately, though, for some of us, that signal isn't as strong as it needs to be, Uh, particularly when we get older, maybe it gets weaker as well. And that could be the reason that you keep gaining weight, uh, despite the fact you're working out, you're exercising, you're trying. Um, 
you got to give your body some help. And that's where Riduzone comes in. It's overwhelmingly number one ingredient of the only three ingredients it has is OEA. Uh, and it's formulated to help your body to know when it's full. Think of Riduzone as kind of your stoplight. Now, there's no caffeine. It's not a stimulant. Uh, but it will definitely help your body uh, to, to have the metabolism uh, work the way it did when you were younger. Uh, I, I, I talk to our kids sometimes about how I used to eat like between practices and stuff when I was in high school. And, 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 and I almost feel like I'm going to be sick to my stomach when I lay it out. Like, how did we consume all of those calories? I eat like a third of that now. Oh. Oh, my roommate and I, uh, we talk about this constantly, what we were eating. And <laughs> our idea of a fun uh, fun Friday night was, uh, you know, the trolley uh, gummy worms and yeah. monster energy drinks. We just, just, just slam that stuff. I mean, I eat a third of that now. I can, I'm a lot stronger and better in better physical condition than I was when I was 19, 20 years old. I was, I was also much thinner then. You know, and a lot of that has to do with some of this metabolic stuff we're talking about right now. So give OEA a shot here. Uh, through Riduzone, uh, and you can pick it up on their website. Just use my name as a special promo code, Steve, and you go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, Riduzone.com. All right, Riduzone.com. So part two of Theology Thursday, and uh, I had an epiphany this morning about what's happening with the pro-life battle. And we had a conversation yesterday here on the show, that it, it feels like we have come to the turning of the tide. That we are now, we're now having the arguments and the debates that, that we should have had decades ago. And if we had had them decades ago, I think we would have actually won this fight by now. And for evidence of that, I would point to when we debate when we debate the life issue on a purely philosophical basis, you can see how successful we've been by we are winning on the supply side of abortion. Abortion rates in America are half what they were the year Aaron was born, according to the CDC. Now, 633,000 a year is still gruesome and macabre. It was 1.3 million a year 26 years ago. How many states have one or no abortion clinics open to the public because of a dearth of demand? Um, those, are, you, th- those are signs of what, what Margaret Thatcher used to say. First you win the debate, and then you win the vote. I think we've won the debate. And that's why we're now getting more principled votes. And we had a conversation about, you know, the political aspect of, and strategy aspect. But I think we need to look at this issue maybe more than any other in our culture from a, from a spiritual lens first. And the reason why is when sin enters into the world, the first post-fall crime that we are introduced to in human history is Cain and Abel and it's murder. Murder is the ultimate display of our fallen nature. It is why historically, including our culture, 
It is why historically cultures have put the highest penalty upon those whom commit it. It doesn't come from the way we were made. We were made in the likeness and image of God. A creator who in and of himself is life. Is the author of all life. So when we engage in murder, and murder is different than killing, we kill all the time to defend life. We kill people who threaten life, whether they would be tyrannical foreign governments, terrorists, serial killers, murderers. There's a reason why when you're found guilty, you're not found guilty of killing. You're found guilty of murder. Murder and killing are not the same. God does not command us not to kill. He commands us not to commit murder. They're not the same. So if there are few behaviors and maybe no other behaviors that are more anathema to the character of the God in whose image we are made, then it clearly indicates it is the embodiment of another of another spiritual influence. For a culture as enlightened as ours to have executed as many of its children as it has these last 46 years goes beyond just mere total depravity. What I'm about to say next, I really believe, I'm not saying this for effect. Well, I kind of am saying it for effect, but not in the way you think. This isn't to be hot takey. That's why I'm trying to use the most measured tone of voice I possibly can as I communicate this. This is demonic. I really believe there has been a demonic stranglehold on our culture in this area for a long time now. And you can see evidence. There's, there's, there's people that may have different philosophical or religious beliefs than you, but they can argue them rationally. They might be in theological error. They might be morally wrong. They might be deceived on some level. But, there may, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily under direct d- demonic influence. Hell doesn't reason with you. Hell removes reason. Hell is the enemy of reason. Hell emotes. It lashes out. It's vile. It's unsettling to be in the presence of. You don't have a rational discussion with hell. It makes your skin crawl. When you look at the arguments being posited by those in favor of continuing this cult of death, or the Malekians, it's one of my favorite descriptions, how many of them do you talk to and they're rational? How many of them do you see posit forth things that could reasonable people, even with people with deeply different convictions, could sit around, surmise together, 
weigh and measure together. And even if they still cannot come to a place of agreement, can still kind of walk away and say, you know what, on this one, we're just going to have to let fate decide. Have you ever encountered that with someone that is totally given over on this issue? I would tell you, in my life, and I've got an extensive experience debating this issue in particular, the answer is absolutely not. And you're watching this play out right now. You're watching them become more vile. And I don't say this to be, I don't, I don't say this to be funny, but it's true. Their arguments are getting dumber. I mean, let's give fetuses that we last, yesterday we said aren't, aren't life, they should have a right to vote. Uh, okay, so they're a person now? Um, you know, the same people are like, we don't need fathers in the home and a family can be defined by anything we want. Oh, you guys want to ban abortion and men can't leave. Can't leave the kids they fathered behind. That should be a crime. Okay. Sold. You got a deal. What do I, what do I sign? I'm in. As a kid who's biological, didn't bother. I'll sign that deal. Make the trade. They're making insane arguments. Men shouldn't be allowed to masturbate. Uh, sperm is the same as a, as a life. And by the way, if you don't want to get pregnant, it would seem to me, I mean, I remember they encouraged us to masturbate in high school. That was part of the sex ed curriculum. Yeah, masturbate more, you won't get, you won't get a woman pregnant. Now you don't want us to masturbate. These don't make any sense. They're dumb. And not in a ha 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 ha. They're tragically Dumb. Dumb. There is no reasoned conversation happening. No reasoned debate. Because this isn't about reason, and it's never been birthed in reason. It's been birthed in the opposite of it. It has been birthed in chaos. And that's why the argument really is just this simple. They want to be able to kill these children. That's it. And you can't make an argument to convince them otherwise. One of the things I, I used to think was odd when I first started studying the Bible is, is you would read through the, you'd read through the Gospels and you would see what, what demon-possessed, because the, the Scriptures, by the way, make a distinction between people who are mentally ill and demon-possessed. right? So it's, you know, it, it doesn't lump them all together. It, it draws those kinds of distinctions. And, and you see points in the Gospels where Jesus comes upon. And if you're a Christian, you believe Jesus is truth and righteousness incarnate, the author and finisher of our faith. And so he would come upon demon-possessed people. And the way that they would act, the things that they would say, and I would read this and I would just think, this is just weird, weird. It's unnatural. Who behaves this way? And there's one in particular that always has stuck with me. And Jesus comes upon a demon-possessed man, and the demon identifies himself as legion, meaning we are many. And he says, and, it, and you can, and I've seen this depicted in movies before, where there's like this, Again, it's unnatural. Have you come to torment us before the appointed time, son of man? 
It's like a demonic seething. People who are in their right minds. People who just are like, you know, I don't really believe you're the savior. I mean, I'll listen and all, but I don't really believe you're the Messiah. And then if, after I listen, I still might be, yeah, I don't believe. They might be lost. But they're not given over. You're seeing that demonic seething. You're watching it right now. If you look at the way they express themselves, and we always say social media is not America, but do you know who is the overwhelming population of people who are on social media? Politically? Culturally? Are people who represent the spirit of the age progressivism. The things that they say, the, the, the terminology they use, it's odd. It's dumb. It's eerily refutable. I had somebody say to me yesterday, well, uh, if you think, uh, why, why don't you think banning guns will save lives if you think banning abortions will? And I'm like, you understand a gun cannot fire itself, right? And in, in most contexts, guns actually save lives. Um, abortion only takes a life. Did you even think this argument through? A gun is not a person. Have you thought this at all? Have you considered? The answer is no. And you know why? They're given over. This is, I believe this. You're up against a direct demonic influence in this culture. Think of, for all of our problems as a people, I would argue, and I think history would back me up on this, other than the church itself, there has been no other instrument for good in this world more than America has been. And when you see a culture that has stood up to oppression and tyranny, both in its own ranks and then has, has, has seen its young men and women volunteer to go die on sand hills in Afghanistan. The beaches of Normandy. Believing oppression anywhere is a threat to freedom and liberty everywhere. What possesses because I'll have veterans argue this with me. How does someone go and, and be willing to give up their life for people they've never met, don't speak their language, don't know their customs, don't even have the same religious beliefs often, and then come home and say, you know, I want to be able to kill people that have done nothing to me, that are totally innocent. And if you won't let me, you're a hater. I'm telling you, folks, that's not... A reasoned position. That's demonic influence. This has been the core hub of demonic influence in American culture, if you're my age or younger, all of our lives. And I would urge us, now that we seem to have come to the moment, that we seem to finally be willing to confront it head on, to treat it like that. It is not something to be strategized around. It is not something to be outwitted, to be nuanced. 
This is heaven or hell. And there is nothing in between here. Light or darkness. And there aren't any exceptions and there's nothing in between. In no other context would a respected Christian thinker go on, write a blog today saying, I believe we should execute children for the crime. I'm okay with executing children for the crimes of their parents. In no other context would that be okay. In no other context would they do it. Why are we doing it today? Because this is a demonic, straight up demonic influence. And you can see by the behavior of the ones who are the most given over, it's like watching Linda Blair in The Exorcist with a Twitter account. It's like watching them say, we're legion. Have you come to a... Have you, have you come to persecute us, torment us before the appointed time? This is what we're up against. I think it, if you want to defeat this, then you have to know who your real enemy is. And in this case, in this case, it's, it's, it's the enemy. Let that simmer for a second. Our friends over at FreedomWorks are worried about the Department of Health and Human Services importing socialism to America. The secretary over there, Alex Azar, is actually helping foreign countries to dictate the prices of our medicine. There's nothing America first about that, which is why they're trying to stand up. Uh, to the Trump administration in this particular area, but they need our help to lend our voices of support to get Secretary Azar's attention to stop fixing prices and instead help uh, companies to fix patients. If this is something you agree with, all right, if, if you didn't get into this for foreign countries to dictate your health care, uh, lend your voice to the, to the cause that FreedomWorks is waging here at freedomworks.org slash mylastnamedace freedomworks.org slash dace freedomworks.org slash dace now see that's a debate reasonable people can debate with each other but what we're talking about here with the extermination of innocence that's not a debate a philosophy that's good versus evil one or the other no nuance choose ye this day john three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.